Logical Progression, Year 1, Lesson 20. Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Allahumma salli wa sallim mubarak ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'alta wa sahla. Wa anta tajlu al-hazna idha shi'l sahla. Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husna ibadatik. Ya Rabbi al-Kareem. Is this working? Okay, so um, I think we are page 103. What did we actually cover from 103? Or, or, right. We haven't actually entered the text then, basically, yes? Right, okay then. I think I defined istinja and istijma, right? Okay, and uh, I tell you what, what, um, and I said that istinja when it's used by itself is covering everything, and then if it's used uh, in a specific sense, then it's only really referring to water. Yeah, you're happy with that idea, right? So if we're going to use the word istinja in its general sense, in a generic sense, then Sheikh Uthameen gives a technical meaning, an istalahi a meaning, uh, an istalahi meaning. Need to become uh, 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 accustomed to some of these words. Istalahi, yeah, istalahi means the legal technical meaning, okay? And mustalah is the science. Uh, so, mustalah al hadith or mustalah, whatever. So, this is the connection between the word istalah, alright? So, istalahian, the meaning, or istalahan rather, the meaning of istinja. It is the removal of anything which comes from the two orifices, either with water or stones or something similar to that, thereby cutting off that najasa. And that's what we said, yeah? The word naja, if you like, means to cut off. So that's the idea, you're cutting off the najasa. So again, the technical meaning, very straightforward. It is the removal of anything which comes from the two orifices, meaning the anus and the um, the front passage, um, with water or stone, bima'in or hajar, or anything similar to that. What's similar to that? Um, we said that back home is the clod, Yes, that clod of earth, and I, I'm sure some of the packs mentioned some kind of words for it, but I've forgotten now what they were in Urdu and Punjabi, but I think you, you understand what I'm talking about, yeah? And in our time, of course, it's uh, uh, tissue paper or any other paper, newspaper if you're desperate, yeah, you know, <laughs> and, and oh. wet wipes even. Sorry? Wet wipes would not be water, it would be, even though it's wet, but it would fall into the category of stijmar in a roundabout way. Not that it's important, but yeah. What was that definition? That was that the definition of what's very Istinja. So you. This is the this is the definition of istinja. So you include stone in istinja. Because we said, when we give a general definition, we including everything. Yes, we said that, isn't it? And when we're talking specifically, then it only means water. Okay, we mentioned that clearly. Right. So. Um, let's jump into the text then. Uh, did I not even read it out? Okay. So page one then of the... Uh, um, <coughs> let's read actually a couple of pages. Sorry, you said technical ruling in Islam. Technical 
the word istilahi, when we say al-ma'na istilahi, uh, it means the technical meaning or the technical definition. The word istilah, istilahan, or istilahi means technical. So when we say the istilahi meaning, then think, when we say the literal meaning, we say the lughawi meaning. Huh? Something like that. Alright. So, Babul Istinja, the chapter of cleaning the genitals. Now, you've just seen the definition of what Istinja is, and I've just translated it for a title purpose as cleaning the genitals. Okay? Even though we know Istinja is the removal, the removal, not cleaning just, the removal of anything which comes out with this, with that, whatever. So, understand that obviously we're having to be very brief, okay, in uh, this word. And actually, I, I should mention here in Sheikh. Uh, Sheikh Muhammad Bukhtar al-Shinqiti also, Hafizahullah, he also mentions a point here where basically he says that if you look at across the different madhahib, even in within the Hamli madhab and then across the other madhahib as well, the scholars use many different words to describe this chapter. Okay? Um, some said Babul Istinja, some called it Babul Istijmar, some called it Bab the Qadal Haja, fulfilling one's need. Some said that it's the chapter of Adab al-Khala, the mannerisms or the etiquette of going, Bab al-Khala, or Adab al-Khala, meaning the chapter of the toilet or the chapter of the etiquettes of going to the toilet, Bab al-Adab al-Qadha al-Hajjah, the etiquettes of fulfilling one's need. Okay, All of these, all of these have a basis, obviously because they're describing the action, and linguistically, we're talking about something very similar. What's, what's interesting, in my, in my uh, uh, opinion, is that each of these definitions has a textual proof, a textual kind of evidence. So, for example, if you called it uh, the chapter of fulfilling the etiquette of fulfilling one's, one's need, qada means to fulfill, okay, to, uh, and the haja is one's need, yeah? So the Prophet ﷺ said in the uh, uh, in Bukhari on the authority of Anas ibn Malik, "Kana Nabi when he would go out to deal with his need. So the word haja has been mentioned. So that's why some of the scholars they use the word the dealing the uh, fulfilling uh, one's need. And then he said that I would follow him and my servant would for our servant would follow him. We would follow him." and take with us something of water so that we could pass it to him. And if you um, uh, call it Babul Istinja, okay, then we mentioned this uh, hadith uh, uh, last week, the hadith in Sahih Muslim, the hadith of Salman al-Farsi, okay? He, uh, you know when I said to you that the Quray, the Mushrik, he came and he said, your prophet, strange, he even teaches you, teaches you everything, like, you know, trying to custom, you, you don't know anything, he has to teach you everything, he even has to teach you how to go to the toilet. So he's, expect, he's expecting Salman al-Farsi to be offended by that. And Salman al-Farsi kind of gives it, what was that going to be like a cuss? I mean, we're proud of that. In fact, he said, Yes, indeed, he prohibited us from facing the Qibla when we defecate or urinate. Or we do istinja using our right hand. Or that we do istinja, again now, we're using less than three stones. So you see how istinja is used to cover stones as well when it's in the general sense. Or that we make istinja with um, dung or uh, bone. 
and we'll come to that later. So that's that's the evidence why people call it Babul Istinja, and that's why we've called it. Three times he used the word Nastanjia, Nastanjia, Nastanjia. We make Istinja, we make Istinja, we make Istinja. The other very common name for this chapter was Babul Istitaba. Istitaba. What do you think Istitaba means? Using the little Arabic principle that we taught you last week. Just like break it down. Someone break it down from the Arabic. Istitaba. Good, that's what I want to start with. So we discussed that last, last week that there is a, a verb form, istaf'ala, yeah? Istaf'ala is the verbal form, uh, verb form. Any verb that you put into this, the ist is to try to get that, seeking it, achieving a state. Achieving a state of what? So now you know that the, of the word istataba, the alif, sin, and ta is the seeking. Seeking what? What's the, Taba, yeah? So what do you think Taba comes from? Pure. Tayyib means? Good. Nice. Clean. Tayyib, yeah? And this also is the word for Tayyib. What's Tayyib? You guys know what Tayyib is, yeah? I'm hoping you guys know what Tayyib is. No, no? Perfume. Okay, tayyib is perfume. So when and tayyib is more than just healthy. All right, tayyib has niceness involved, cleanliness involved, like refreshing involved. So istitaba means beautification of oneself, effectively, or trying to make oneself nice. So that's the idea here: cleaning oneself down below to make it nice and clean. All right, that's the that's the the, the concept there. So. Um, you might say, well, why did they call it Babul Istitaba? Because in the hadith of Abu Huraira radiallahu anh, narrated by uh, Abu Dawood with a good chain, the, Pro- the Prophet said, Very good. Meaning that he said that if any of you want to defecate, then don't face a qibla and don't put your back to the qibla and do not make istitaba with your right hand. So the word istitaba has been mentioned. I just mentioned this just so that you open up your... Uh, uh, um, uh, and also I, put, I said Baba Adab al-Khala, the chapter of the etiquettes of going to Khala. Khala is going to the toilet. The word Khala comes from Khali. What's Khali? Empty in Urdu, right? Everyone knows that. Likewise in Arabic, it means empty, but it means open. So Khala means barra, meaning desert, meaning... Uh, huh? Isolation. Isolation, exactly. That's why the word khalwa comes from. You know, when we talk about yani, what's haram um, is for a man and woman to have khalwa. It means that they're isolated together. So it's just them two with no one else around. So the idea is that either you're isolated because there's no one's around for miles or you're in a closed room and no one can see you, so you're isolated. This is the khalwa. So this comes from the, the same word of khala. Okay? So when we say khala, we're talking about back end of the garden, if you're back in the beard, yeah, you know, right? Whatever. And if you're in the Arab lands, then it means taking a walk down and finding some sand dune, miskiniani, and crouching down and doing the behavior. The point is, is outside finding cover, you know, that's the, the, the point there. So why is it mentioned? Why did some scholars mention it? This is the chapter of etiquette of going to khala, toilet, outside. 
um, because in again in Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim, and the Nabiya sallallahu if he when he would enter to go to the toilet. I want you to know, of course, that there were no toilets in those times. It's important that you understand that, and we will we'll come to that. Then he would say, Allahumma inni a'udhu bikum the khubil We're going to discuss that hadith now. So I just want to uh, uh, just make that clear that you uh, you don't get confused if you see scholars calling the chapter different names. All of them have some textual basis. Now, before we start, um, we're going to now start with the discussion of what to do when you go into the toilet. Now, that's strange because there was no toilets at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. In fact, toilets per se are a new kind, newish, modern history as opposed to ancient history. And the idea would always be that, um, and I, I don't mean, I, I mean, I don't mean like the what the Americans would call, the Romans would call a water closet, which is what the name was given. Victorian times, like when people started to become posh and uh, forward and all the rest of it, westernized. The idea was that one of the key signs of westernization and modernization would be that you have your own separate toilet that has a plumbing and so on and so forth. Yes, yes, the early uh, indications do show that outside toilets might have been covered and it might be a dedicated area. But in principle, it will be wherever you can go, as far away from the people, etc, etc. So it's all about going outside. That presents a number of issues. It presents an issues of how do you enter upon such an area and how do you leave such an area when it's the outside. It presents the issues of du'a. It presents the issues of the bathroom, the modern bathroom. There's no, never ever such a thing as the modern day bathroom back then. The modern day bathroom now is a clean place of, you know, people put, put you know, sinks and making wudu and their showers and washing machines and all kinds of things are in there, isn't it? Yeah. And... Uh, rare is it that you will find a separate toilet in a house rare some of the old 30s 20 houses 1920s they, their houses they do still have separate toilets that is the the step in between um old times and in modern times now bathroom is a very nice place very clean place maybe the cleanest place in the house maybe so i think it is a cleanest place it's a place that gets clean most you know a lot of people think the toilet seat is very dirty it's the cleanest thing ever because people are cleaning it but your phone keypad, yeah, that's disgusting. That's what that is. I don't like using other people's phones. I teach straight. I'm like this. Brother, you dial the number. <laughs> I'll just speak like that. Yeah, anyway. So, the chapter of cleaning the genitals. So, the Sheikh says, uh, Imam Al Hajjawi, rahmatullahi he says in the text of Zad al Mustaqni, he said, Yustahabu in the Dukhul al Khala'i, Qawlu. Bismillah, <laughs> this is the text of the uh, uh, first two pages and the ones that we need to concentrate on first. So the English translation um, The following 
are recommended when it comes to istinja. Okay, the following are recommended. Number one, when entering the toilet, to say, with the name of Allah, I seek protection with Allah from all devils and evil. And then when exiting, I seek your forgiveness. All praise be to Allah who removes from me all harm and pardoned me. And then number two, the second thing, we're well, on page two now, the second thing which is recommended and now the list that follows, beginning with the left foot when entering and the right when, when exiting as opposed to the mosque or wearing slippers. Number three, supporting one's weight on the left foot. This is whilst sitting for going to the toilet. Number four, being far away in open spaces. Number five, being concealed. Number six, urinating on soft ground. Number seven, after urinating, to use the left hand to squeeze the penis starting from its base to its head three times and then to shake it three times. And number eight, moving to another place to clean the private parts if soiling oneself is feared. Okay, so that's the, that's the translation of the text for the first two pages. Now we've already defined this ninja and everything. And before we, we, we discuss what uh, Sheikh is going to talk about with some very beneficial points about just the first word um, of uh, what he uses, yustahabbu, um, I want to say that this is now the first time and an apt time and a you know relevant time to talk about things which are uh, seen as private and embarrassing and and difficult and and so on and obviously this is uh, a chapter which is difficult not to laugh at smile at because you're talking about private parts and talking about disgusting things like going to the toilet and so on like that you know so it's obviously funny by nature and so on and and the funniness is in its own place and then the embarrassingness or the or the embarrassing nature of aspects of talking about the private parts and how they are handled and so on and so forth this is of course also funny and whatever it's nothing to do with being immature or not because this is just nature this is what the what the reality is. obviously you give me a subject like that i'm gonna have a field day right <laughs> but the reality is is that it is important that we enjoy our jokes and we that we understand that this is knowledge and that we understand that when we study it, we will study it graphically and in detail. And you need to uh, be, you need to put away your shyness and your embarrassment. And there are many uh, uh, narrations, subhanAllah, I was going to, I didn't know how many I was going to put down. But I just thought I'd mention a few things that it is, there is no shyness when it comes to learning the religion. There is no shyness when it comes to learning the religion. Shyness is in practice and in front of other people. When it comes to this kind of scenario, then you have to be able to see through me as a person or whatever, whatnot, and just see this is a teacher now telling us how something is taught. Abu Musa al-Ashari radiallahu an, he came to Aisha radiallahu anha and he said to her, Allah, I want to ask you a question, but I'm so embarrassed. And Aisha radiallahu anha said that, uh, ask and don't be embarrassed. I'm, I'm, I'm your mother. Because she's from the Ummahat al-Mu'mineen. Not his real mother, not his real mother, but because she is our mother. But the point is not that she is her mother, she is his mother. The point is, is that she's teaching him. That's the point. And then he, he explained a very important part of ghusl after uh, sexual relations. And about the meeting of the two circumcised parts. He said to her that what happens, uh, do we need to make uh, a ghusl if there's intercourse without ejaculation? And so Aisha said, no. Uh, 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 Aisha said yes 
ejaculation is not the issue. If the two circumcised parts meet and touch one another, meaning there's penetration, then there has to be a ghusl. And that was said in a way which was very confident and very clear. And that's how it is. And also Aisha radiallahu anha, she was, at, she was there when the women of uh, uh, Ansar, they came to the Prophet asking uh, very detailed questions about the nature of their bleeding and how to clean themselves down below and the genitals in detail. And the Prophet and Aisha radiallahu anha, she said that how good, how good are the women of the Ansar that shyness did not keep them away from learning their religion. And one of the most important statements that I learned when I was starting my studies was the statement of Abdullah ibn Abbas and he said that the one who is shy will never learn. The one who is shy will never learn. And this he's talking about many things here. He's talking about generally having the courage to speak up um, in, Prince, in general anyway, if there's a pressing matter, pressing matter, and you don't feel like you want to interrupt and you don't want, or you feel shy to raise your voice uh, in a gathering of big people, they're all bigger than you and they're all more experienced than you and you don't know. You should ask the question. Being shy there does you no favor whatsoever. So that's why you will not learn. And likewise, the extension of that in the uh, matters that are delicate and sensitive as well. So I want you to know that. So we are going to be going into detail, but that's what's necessary in this chapter. And of course, it will get a lot more graphic later on as well. Anyway, the Sheikh says, That it is recommended, the following are recommended when you enter the toilet. Okay, I've said the toilet because I can't keep using open ground. I have to say the toilet because we don't go there, right? We just use a toilet, right? The scholars, they, um, they differed over the word mustahab. Now, we've already defined mustahab, haven't we? A number of times, yes? Mustahab is recommended, yes? Something which, if you do it, you get rewarded for it. And if you don't do it, you're not punished. Yeah, you're not punished if you leave it. But the sheikh said, is that what does mustahab actually mean? Is it a synonym for the word masnoon, meaning that uh, is uh, 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 is the word mustahab an exact translation or synonym for the word masnoon, meaning sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu meaning that this is what he did, okay? Or or is the word is the word mustahab? something slightly different from the word sunnah. So when we say this is sunnah and this is recommended, is there a subtle difference? And Sheikh suggests that if there would be a difference, would that difference be because the word masnoon is meaning that which has been established by a textual evidence, i.e. from the Quran or the sunnah, that would therefore be something masnoon and mustahab is something meaning that this is something which the mind comes to from a deriving from the principles. So not a, not a direct kind of stated evidence in the texts, but basically when you start looking at the system and thinking about how he is and what he would do and thinking about the benefits of the people and thinking about things which fulfill the general maqasid al-shari'a, come under the objectives of sharia, they are praiseworthy in of themselves, they are not bad, then we generally then put them under a category of mustahab, recommended. Recommended because you fulfill a principle in Islam as opposed to it being specifically stated. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Sheikh is saying, is that what the real case is? That mustahab is that which is derived in that sense and masnoon is something else which is uh, established by evidence. He said, well, um, some of the scholars said, 
um, something which does not have evidence specific, direct, uh, explicit evidence for it, this is not called something sunnah. This is not something that you would say sunnah. Because once you say yusannu, uh, that this is the sunnah of the Prophet you are say you are you have said this is a way of an action of the Prophet without evidence. Okay, without textual evidence. As for something that which is when you, you know the word ta'lil uh, uh, is when you're trying to find the reasoning behind something. Or bin nazar. Nazar, you know, means look, right? But nazar here means to think and reflect upon something. And ishtihad means that you're making a decision about something which is not very clear and it's, therefore you're going out on a limb and you're generally going to give a fatwa. Yes? So ishtihad. And that's why the ishtihad of a scholar, if he gets it right, he gets two rewards. And if he gets it wrong, he gets one reward. The idea is, is that it's not clear that what he's making the ishtihad on. It's not clear from the sources, therefore he has to go out there. So generally, when you're using the word mustahab, it's a term which is not strictly saying the Prophet ﷺ did this action. Does that, does that make sense? We're just saying this is a recommended action because it fits with the principles of Islam. Nothing wrong with it. The early companions might have done it. The scholars did it. There's a lot of barakah in it. This, that. General aroundabout terms without saying the Prophet definitely did this action in this moment, in this time, or Allah said do it for this reason, that time, etc, etc. And uh, so this is something which is uh, uh, actually uh, uh, taken from uh, a book by Hajjawi in Usul. Okay? And then um, Sheikh, the next page he says, that, but the majority of the scholars, what they said is La farqa bayna yustahab wa yusan. There is no difference between the word that this is sunnah and the word mustahab. And therefore, that's why you see many scholars that use the words interchangeably. That this is sunnah, this is mustahab. This is sunnah, this is mustahab. And Sheikh Uthameen says, it goes, but you know what? There's no doubt. If we're going to discuss, if we're going to look at these two opinions, the first one is closer to the truth. Okay? The first one is closer to the truth. And we shouldn't say something is sunnah if it hasn't been done by the Prophet. And that's what the position I'm going to hold. And I think that's a very good position from a tall position as well, inshallah. Okay? So, uh, that's a nice uh, thing. Well, then, so huh? The issue there then is then how does the person, student of knowledge, know when the sheriff is using it interchangeably or is using it? Well, this is a good question. Suleiman says is that how then is the student of knowledge meant to know then when he's coming across texts um, and or in a lesson what is being referred to? It's a very good question and it's a very difficult one because obviously most of the time they're going to be reading in English, right? And when you say that, it's the, it's the age-old problem of the word recommended. When I say it's recommended, you generally do it because you say, my sheikh said recommended. You don't really think that does recommended here means sunnah or not. And this goes back down to the teacher. You see, the accurate scholar, so this just shows, you know, the level of Sheikh Uthaymeen. Most people, if they explained this chapter, they would have just, just moved on and said, okay, these are the things which are recommended, one, two, three, four. But Sheikh Huthaymeen is a scholar of the highest order. You don't just leave a phrase and just assume. He doesn't assume. He knows that there are people that are going to be uh, reading into this. And so when you read from someone like Sheikh Uthaymeen this kind of statement, you'll know that he's aware of the debate. Many teachers aren't even aware of the, the difference between Sunnah and Mustahab, and they will just go out and say it. So it would depend upon the teacher and the level of the teacher as well. 
It depends upon the language as well and the quality of the work as well. Um, but in the English, it's a disaster. You know, we always say you should do this and you should do that. What does what should mean? Should has no translation in Arabic. Either something is obligated or it's recommended or it's uh, haram or it's makruh. But in English, we don't say that. We don't say it's obligatory to do that. We say, brother, you should pray now or you should do this or you shouldn't do this. So we use should and shouldn't for halal and haram or uh, for obligatory and haram, the two opposites. That's a problem. Because the word itself is not the right. So translation is inherently going to have a problem. But the, the original question, how are you going to know in a text? I think that we should assume. And that's what I've always assumed as a student. Okay, For the last X amount of years, I've always said, when I come across the word mustahab, my uh, heart never accepts it as the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, until I see a statement of the Prophet ﷺ. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's quite possible for the person to say mustahab and it be a sunnah, but I'm only going to believe that if I know it's a sunnah. Otherwise, it's recommended. For when I see come across recommended, I'm saying that these are the giants of Islamic law have put their weight behind it. And I'm going to go ahead with the action anyway, because that's what we do. We trust our scholars as long as we know that they're scholars. But am I going to read mustahab as this is the action of the Prophet? No, and I don't think you should either. And that's why I think it's a beneficial point that you've just learned there, inshallah. Okay, so then the Sheikh says the first thing that you... Uh, say when you enter the toilet is to say Bismillah. Now Bismillah is in the name of Allah, right? In the name of Allah. I don't like in the name. B for me is always, uh, I've always translated it traditionally as with. And so that's why I've put with the name of Allah. But I mean, you guys probably know it as Bismillah. And this is a sunnah, as Shaykh Uthameen says, that has been narrated by Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu anhu on the authority of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam that he said, So this hadith I can translate as um, the, uh, uh, a barrier is placed between the eyes of the jinn and the aura of of humans of Bani Adam when you enter the toilet and you say Bismillah okay that's a bad translation maybe but I hope you understand I mean I'll explain the translation when you're about to go into the toilet you say Bismillah and it's not actually for the toilet per se it's actually when you take your clothes off all right when you take your clothes off, the idea now is that you're naked. So this could be in a bedroom or could be when you're changing or could be in a bathroom, obviously, when you take your clothes off. You say Bismillah and saying Bismillah immediately creates a barrier between, between the eyes of the jinn and, the, uh, and them seeing your private parts. The word Aura, we haven't covered yet in, uh, and we'll discuss it very briefly now. The word Aura is the is referring to the parts of the body which are haram to be displayed okay to members of the um to non-mahram people the word mahram by the way means the person you are not allowed to marry okay so your father is a mahram your mother is a mahram your brother is a mahram your sister is a mahram your children are mahrams that kind of a principle okay your husband of course could never be your mahram your wife of course could never be your mahram in a technical sense because you're already married to them but they are uh, legally they are your mahram meaning that they give you some uh, uh, 
they allow you're allowed to see one other's private parts for example you can be isolated with these people etc etc so i don't want you to understand the word mahram just as people you can't get married to the word mahram is much bigger than that it means people you can't get married to and people who you're allowed to be isolated with that you're allowed to travel with etc etc so Aura is that which can only be seen by the mahram. A ghair mahram, a non-mahram cannot see it. A foreign person, when you, they use the word foreign or stranger, this is what they mean. They mean a non-mahram. So for example, like random brother, random sister, can't be seeing it. Cousins, for example, can't be seeing it. That's the, probably the biggest challenge for Muslims. Cousins, right? People don't see them as, people see them as part of the family but they're not part of the family in that they're not mahrams. So it's not allowed to uncover certain parts of the body. And the aura has two parts. You have soft aura and hard aura. Hard aura is always referring to the private parts, okay? Private parts. Whereas soft aura is for the woman, the entire body, except her face and her hands, right? So her entire body is aura except face and hands. And for the men, it's between the navel and at least the thigh. And according to the stronger opinion, from the navel to the knee. So this is the soft aura. And then the hard aura is the woman's private parts and her breasts. And for the man, it is the private parts by itself. Is that clear, everybody? So I want you to understand that these are the parts which obviously are what we're most shy about, what we're most embarrassed about. And that is what we keep hidden. We keep hidden. Yep. Because the aura is what we keep hidden, the packs went and said, why don't we go and hide our women and call them uh, aurat as well. <laughs> you didn't think about that, did you? you see? What do you think the word aurat comes from? It's the pack translation, uh, uh, pronunciation of, uh, of aura. It is, yara. Because they want to keep the pack women down. But the pack women said no. So that's why I just thought, I just revived that keep them down behavior, isn't it? Because Abu Dhar says, keep them down. No, 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 sorry. Abu Dhar says, no, no. This is what he doesn't want women kept down. Anyway. So, um, listen, so that's the aura. That's the jinn. Now, the next thing you might be saying is that what are jinn doing around in these places? Actually, um, it's all about the jinn. In fact, this beginning, this entire beginning is about the jinn. When you, when you uh, really think about it. Um, actually, I'll talk about that now as we go into this. Um, the next uh, statement, yeah? Uh, you mentioned about uh, those who are mahram can see one's aura. Is that generally what's... Uh, no, 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 let's not, let's not get into this. This is, this is not even this discussion. I only mentioned this just to define what aura means in the hadith. I don't want to get into aura that's in its own space, its own time. Right? Let's not get into side side issues. I just the only reason I mentioned the word aura is if you didn't know what it means that we want this the eyes of the jinn not to see the aurat of humans. Just so that you know the aura means the private parts here. Now Are we gonna cover that later? Of course, of course, of course. Yes, yeah, yeah. We're coming to that now. Okay. So this bismillah is a general principle that is applying not just to the toilet but applying to effectively when you take off your clothes. This hadith has been narrated by Imam Tirmidhi in the chapter of Salah. He said the chapter of ma the what is mentioned from the tasmiyah, meaning bismillah, when you enter into the toilet. And it's also 
mentioned by Ibn Majah as well. Now Imam Tirmidhi, he said this is hadith gharib, strange. We do not know it except via this way, this way of narration. It's not that strong either, the Sanad, Imam Tirmidhi said. Imam Daraqutni said that this hadith is not established. And he said that in Al-Ilal. Al-Ilal, by the way, is Imam Daraqutni's greatest work. And it's an unbelievable work, actually, on the faults of the hidden faults of hadith. And Imam al-Nawawi. Imam al-Nawawi also considered this hadith to be weak, okay? And he mentioned that in Khulasa number 326. Except, except, so far you're thinking weak, 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 except that this hadith has shawahid. Shawahid. Shawahid means supporting narrations. Okay, supporting evidences. So although the hadith itself has some weakness, but then we start to bring out the 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 you know the uh, the supporting narrations and it gives basically the strength to the original principle or the original point it might not give strength to the wording word by word but it will establish the principle or the point or the mas'ala or the fiqh kind of position so what are the shawahid um, the muhaqqiq says biha. it strengthens the original narration and that's from the hadith of Anas and the hadith of Sa'id al-Khudri and the hadith of Ibn Mas'ud and the hadith of Mu'awi ibn Hida and ولذلك uh, الصححه and then that's, that's why uh, uh, this is a name subhanAllah I've never heard uh, I've never come across but Mughaltai SubhanAllah, I need to go and look who that actually Mughaltai is because I've not seen. Uh... But anyway, he considered the hadith to be authentic. We need to investigate who that is. And it was considered to be Hassan, meaning acceptable, fair, one degree down from authentic by Imam Ibn Hajar and Imam Suyuti and Imam, uh, Imam Manawi and other scholars other than that. And that they're, of course, hadith. Uh, scholars and you can see some of the the uh, references at the bottom so the hadith is okay and it's established inshallah and bismillah is a statement that can be said then we have this very interesting statement which is well narrated and many people already know a follow-up statement then you say okay and this is because of the hadith of anas ibn malik radiallahu anhu narrated in sahih bukhari and sahih muslim that the message of allah sallallahu when he would enter in to go into the toilet, he would say, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-khubuthi wal-khaba'ithi. So, in the text of the text, the text of Zad al-Mustaqni'ah, Imam al-Hajjawi narrates the hadith as, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika, a'udhu billahi min al-khubthi, with a sukoon. What do they call it? Pax call again? Jazm, sak, jazm. That's a ziri pack. Astaghfirullah. Right, jazm then, yeah. Sukun, khubthi is sukun. But when you put dhamma on it, when you put pesh on, yeah. What a word, yara kasm pesh. Right. When you put pesh on, then it becomes khubuthi. Yes. So khubuthi is what's narrated in Sahih Bukhari here in this narration that Sheikh Uthaymin is quoting, and in the text is khub with a sukoon. So I just want you to uh, 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 um, uh, make a note of that. So this hadith is narrated by Bukhari. Now, Shaykh Uthameen on page 105 goes into an interesting discussion. He says, Al-Khubthu, Khubth. The word Khubth, when you use a sukoon, okay, is Khubth, and when you use the Dhamma, is Khubth. And if you 
keep it with the riwayah taskeen, taskeen means with sukun, khubthi, then it means evil, ashar, evil. And if you use the word khabaith, then it means those souls which are evil. Okay? And if you put the word, uh, you, use, you use the narration, both are authentically narrated, by the way. When you use the narration which is khubuthi, with the dhamma, with the pesh, khubuthi, then the khubuth is jama of khabith. Okay? The khabith, which is like disgusting, isn't it? Yeah? Khabith, he is disgusting. And khabaith is the jama of khabitha. And here then, when you use the word khubuth and khabaith, then you are indicating, as Imam al-Khattabi said, rahmatullah alayhi, male shaitan, khubuthi, and khabaithi, the female shayateen. Okay, female shayateen. And what Shaykh says is that taskeen, khubthi, in the ahadith, is actually more narrated in principle from the sunnah. See, you go with taskeen a'am. وَلِهَذَا كَانَ هُوَ أَكْثُرُ رِوَايَةَ الشُّيُوخِ كَمَا قَالَ الْخَطَّابِ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهِ I want to say that I think this statement is not so accurate actually. And I heard a number of my teachers criticize this statement that the riwayah of taskeen, khubthi, is more uh, uh, um, spread. Uh, but this is Sheikh's opinion and that's fair enough. And actually, maybe the, it's not the problem with Sheikh's opinion. Actually, maybe the problem is with Imam Khattabi's opinion himself. All right? Uh, uh, and that's a fair criticism. The point is, both of them are authentically narrated. Khubuthi and Khubthi. Now, in my translation into the English, what I did, I took the liberty of giving you the Khubthi wal Khabaith and making you understand that it was referring to both. So what did I do? I combined it, I said all evil, and then I said all devils. That's the reason for my translation, because you might say, well, hold on, you didn't break it down into khubuthi and khubthi as it should be. So, does that make sense, everybody? Yeah, everyone comfortable with that. Anyway, what Sheikh says is that there is a, uh, obviously there's an obvious be uh, benefit in, in this kind of starting, all right? There's a fa'idah in the basmala, uh, 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 or oh, sorry, the Bismillah to say Bismillah. There's a benefit because it's giving one oneself cover, and it's giving you uh, a barrier and putting this barrier between you and the shayateen, and that's clear. As for the benefit of isti'adha, al isti'adha. When we say isti'adha, then we mean rajim. These are technical terms. So the Bismillah is when we say Bismillah. The basmala, I think we covered this, isn't it? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, the full. And al-isti'adha is when you say, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan ar-Rajim. That's technically speaking. Also, when you say, A'udhu Billah, Al-A'udhu Billah, then this is also isti'adha. The word isti'adha means to seek refuge, to seek yani, protection. And we always, we say obviously, protecting with Allah. Billah, with Allah. Al-isti'adhu Billah. Or A'udhu Billah. Or A'udhu Billah. I seek refuge, or we even say, Na'udhu Billah, we all seek refuge with Allah. So I want you to understand that's the, the, the linguistic point. 
الالتجاء الى الله عز وجل من الخبث والخبائث لان هذا المكان مكان خبيث والخبيث ماوى الخبثاء فهو ماوى الشياطين فصار من المناسب اذا اراد دخول الخلاء ان يقول اعوذ بالله اعوذ بالله من الخبث والخبائث حتى لا يصيبه الخبث وهو الشر ولا الخبائث وهي النفوس الشريره. He goes it's very relevant that we use this word of استعاضه because we're entering into an area where it's dirty where it's not يعني some kind of entertainment area and only dirty uh, things happen and shayateen are very frequent and jinn are very frequent and evil is frequent and we have to therefore ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for protection and also don't forget that when we go in we're alone effectively because we can't even do dhikr or make يعني, the normal kind of things that you would say um, by your, you know, to protect yourself from jinn it's important here to understand that jinn uh, um, uh, is effectively what we're, look, we're looking for protection from. Jinn are our creation that are effectively exactly like us. They have good and they have bad, and you know some of them are Muslims. Uh, uh, um, uh, المسلمون. Okay. Yeah, he finish. Uh huh. <laughs> I wanted to hear that online. Sheikh Abdul Ghafari is so proud. He loves the people who say Ra as Tahawa Washada. Yeah? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Wa'am al Qasitun? Yeah. What happens to the Muslimun? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that uh, in Surah Al Jinn, or, uh, or, uh, that uh, the Jinn is speaking now, they said, and from us they are Muslimun. And from us, Qasitun, meaning the non-Muslims. So that as for those who Aslam become Muslim, for, what did they? They have sought and thought about it, made taharri, and they have become Rashid. They have become guided. As for the, the Kuffar of the Jinn, what are they? Naam. So they are for Jahannam, Hataba. They just firewood for the for the hellfire, yani straight up. So jinn are good and bad, Muslim non-Muslim, mess about and not. Every single person has a jinn with them. Everyone has a jinn. That jinn is called the Qareen. Okay, and everyone is under threat from the Qareen, and that's very clear from the hadith in Bukhari. Rasulullah what did he say about his Qareen? Muslim. Do you remember what he said? He said, Allah helped me. Very interesting. Allah helped me against my qareen فَأَسْلَمَ So he didn't even say that I dealt with him. He actually said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helped me and so he became Muslim. And it's very interesting, right? He said that Allah helped me and so he became Muslim. Which by indication means that therefore if he had been left by himself, he wouldn't have been able to deal with it. And it also that therefore all the rest of them are non-Muslims. And that's the jinn that's whispering in us in our ears all the time. Remember, jinn and devils are synonymous. When the jinn is kafir and evil, that's effectively what the devil, that's what shaitan is. Shayateen are all jinn. Okay? But you also have normal ins Muslims from the, the jinn as well. I want you to, to understand that. And it's important that you become I, I I personally think that the one subject which Muslims don't need educating about is jinn because they find it fascinating. You know, if you're giving a talk about Aqeed or anything, no one comes. 
You give a talk about jinn and the world of the unseen, far, far, ta, ta. And then that's it. Yeah, and he rammed up this, that, whatever. Jinn and marriage never fails, brothers, yeah? You, you guys desperate for some uh, people to get into the, into the conference? Do it on jinn and do it on, the, uh, on marriage and what's the other thing? No, that's it, yeah, jinn and, and thingy. So jinn, I want you to understand, they're an important creation to appreciate. They live amongst us. They have human form. They see us, we can't see them. And that's why the word jinn uh, uh, actually means that, that which can't be seen. And that's why jannah is called jannah because it can't be seen. We haven't seen it. And it's yeah, any un unclosed, it's not, uh, 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 um, it's the, yeah, it's unseen to our eyes. And uh, they have preferences in terms of where they go. They generally hang around like rubbish dumps and open areas where people go defecate toilets. This is where they hang around. This is their preferred area. And we have in a hadith, many a hadith, hadith Abdullah ibn Mas'ud uh, comes to mind, um, and hadith in Sahih Bukhari from the Prophet وسلم, that uh, they asked Abdullah ibn Mas'ud to come and recite Quran to them. Right? And so he did. And then they showed them uh, this jinn. They showed Abdullah ibn Mas'ud their kind of like their camp and showed them where they sit and where they hang around and their fires and everything. And then they asked Abdullah ibn Mas'ud for food. And in this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ has effectively, obviously, obviously told Abdullah ibn Mas'ud what the food is because Abdullah ibn Mas'ud told them, you can have the bones that are from the animals that we make tasmiyah uh, over, that we eat, the halal animals, you can have their bones and you can also use um, the droppings, uh, dung, feces and dung and so on, from feces from us and dung from our animal to for your animals. So our bones... From our meat is their meat and our droppings and waste is food for their animals. They have animals and have everything. And that's why it's important to understand that, and, and you're going to see in the chapter that it's not allowed to uh, use uh, bones to clean oneself with. And you might be thinking, why would I be using a bone for? But believe me, yeah, when you're out there in a the rough, that's exactly what you do. Okay, Bones and... Uh, dung especially. Dung actually is perfect because it's not completely full, it's porous, it's soft and you just imagine the, the nature of cleaning something with something which has some give in it and some uh, softness to it and so on and so forth, especially when it becomes dry. So these things are, this is the reason, because the Prophet ﷺ has effectively said the, the jinn can use it. So you're, uh, uh, you don't want to, you've heard, I'm sure Pax heard stories, you know, you're upsetting the jinn by doing things like that. You're going to upset jinn if you keep wiping yourself with, you know, these things and say, eat that then, yeah? Then that's messed up. He's going to hunt you down. And that's why they said you don't uh, uh, urinate in, in underneath trees. And also, you know, trees have little holes in there. And people, they do that. They urinate into the hole for no reason whatsoever. Not only are there animals which are in there, but this is seen as the resting places of jinn. And I'm not even joking. I, I know. I don't know if you guys have to go back to your homes or not, but if you go back to the Muslim countries, you'll hear their stories. I can tell you now that very, very famous, well-known stories, and you're going to think this is completely freaked out and crazy, but that a, Muslims, a Muslim guy, he's like drinking this and that, whatever, and he gets drunk and he goes and he urinates in like a tree or something like that. And the people see him do that and they tell him don't and he goes, yeah, whatever. And the next day he's found smashed up into pieces and killed and thrown off cliffs and things like that. Many stories we heard like that. Yeah, in the Muslim countries, when you go back, this is what you hear. Here, obviously, 
I don't know, if that's happening here. Yeah. But we do help ourselves in, in avoiding trees by using a toilet. But I, I, I want you to appreciate the, 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 uh, the, the issue because um, it is important. So uh, the jinn are in, this, uh, uh, in these toilets and in these areas, whatever, and, and we need to be uh, aware of that. I just also want to mention something else, that um, when should we be saying... And I think Sheikh uh, talks about that. Okay, so... Um, oh yes, he says it right here. وَالْعِنْدِيَّ فِي كَلَامُ الْمُؤَلِّفِ هُنَا تَعَنِي قَبْلَ الدُّخُولِ He's saying that عند الدخول, when you enter, what does enter actually mean? What does it mean? When you actually go in? No, Sheikh says that means before you go in. So if you are going into an area which is a toilet, okay, then you say it before going in. So someone might say some of these big hotels and fancy places, they have a huge bathroom which is beautiful and clean and everything, and it's like amazing. And then it has the um, cubicles, right? So could it be argued that actually you don't say anything when you walk into this area and therefore it's when you open the door to your cubicle that you can say that. It can be argued. It can be. It can be argued that the toilet here is not the whole bathroom, the toilet is the cubicle. I don't argue it though. I don't risk it. For me it's straightforward. It's a doubtful matter. This is a new thing. It never used to be like that before. And so when I go into the bathroom, I make my dua as opposed to waiting right to the very door of the cubicle. But if someone did it, would I say haram, kada, blah, blah, blah? I wouldn't. I'd say it's a mahal, yani, which is doubt on it. There is doubt. But you got to understand that dhikr, dhikr and the mentioning of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's name has karam, honor. And you got to look at your surroundings and think, yani, is this the right place even though it's a bathroom? We do, by extension, accept that anyway, that it's okay to make dhikr. Because when we come to the issues of wudu, and what to say during wudu, and beginning of wudu, and after wudu, we say it's no problem. We say it's no problem because we're now focusing on such a specific area of this wonderful clean bathroom, which is effectively the water part that we're really far removed from the toilet. In truth though, if we're okaying that, then we should have no problem then, okaying, saying Bismillah and Billah when you go to the cubicle. Do you understand? So there's a discussion there. It gets even more complicated with toilets at home because obviously in our bathrooms we don't have a cubicle. It's the corner right there. You can actually see the toilet. So this is, I want to say to you that there is a, there is a difficulty there. No scholar will be able to say 100% this is the situation. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ didn't allow for that in his statement. He did not go into a room. They would go to an area. And when you go to an area, there's a further discussion then. So when should you do it? So I will summarize uh, uh, the position of Sheikh Uthameen and my own position, that before you walk in through a door to a bathroom, stroke toilet, whatever, you would make this specific dua. Bismillah, a'udhu billahi min al-khubti wal khabaith. And if you are out in the open area, then Sheikh said the second you start to take off your clothes, the ulama Muhammad Bakhtar Shankit says, when he lifts his thawb up, so that's the synonym for us of taking trousers down, effectively. That is when you would say it, okay? Because you're, in, you're out in the open. There's no door, is there? It's right, okay, this is a good spot. I'm going to do it here. So then <laughs> you're not going to take a full step to change position or anything like that. It's when you start undressing yourself. That's when you say it, okay? And Sheikh, sorry, and he also says that this is something which is said. Has to be said out loud. And he goes that of course if someone cannot speak then is he's uh, forgiven. Yes. Suite, but I think it's it's closed off, isn't it? 
It's closed off. An ensuite bathroom is closed off. So I think that's uh, okay, inshallah. So then the Sheikh says, and then when you um, and when you're coming out of the toilet, then we should say غفرانك, eh? that it is uh, a sunnah to say after coming out that you should say غفرانك, and this is because of the authentic hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha that the Prophet said, when he would, after defecating, when he would come out of this area and come out into like cleanliness or the open, then he would say غفرانك. This hadith is narrated by Imam Ahmed. Um, and Imam Abu Dawood in the chapter of purification and Tirmidhi and so on and so forth and Tirmidhi said this hadith is Hassan Gharib and Abu, uh, Abu Hatim al-Razi he said this narration is the most authentic one in all of this chapter and he authenticated it as did Ibn Hibban, as did Al-Hakim as did Imam Al-Nawawi, as did Imam Ibn Hajar Al-Asqalani so this hadith is authentic insha'Allah so um, uh, whilst coming out, Shaykh Uthameen says, now this is different. Whilst coming out means after you've come out. Whereas the India with going in was before going in. So after you've completely finished and you're coming out into the clean area uh, is, the, is the idea. Um, and if he was outside in the open, so if you're in the toilet, it's when you open the door and come out. Yeah? And if you are in a bathroom, then I think it's acceptable for you to say it when you go to the sink. Okay? I think it's acceptable for you to say it to the sink, at the sink, but if you didn't and you said it when you're coming out the actual door of the bathroom itself, that's acceptable as well. And if you're outside in the open, then it's the second that you move from the area that you've now just had the toilet in. When you move away, ghufranik. Saying that, like the modern day bathroom is so clean. So, which area of the bathroom would the jinn be? Allah, Allah. But if I do see one, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say would be around the toilet? Or I think so. I mean, because you know, Subhanallah. If you think that they're eating bones and their animals are like this and they're unseen and they they hang around in graveyards and in dirty corners and refuse areas, you'd think in a bathroom they'd be gravitating towards that. Allah alam. Wallahu ta'ala alam. That's right. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna discuss some of the the issues and the, the etiquettes of inside the toilet afterwards. But let's just go stick to the text. The word ghufranik, which I think is a very interesting uh, word, comes from the word ghufran or ghufran. Sorry, your uh, ghufran. And the master, the verb, the, the, it's a it's a verbal noun from ghafara yaghfiru ghafran ghafran. Okay, wa ghufranen, and this is the same as shakara yashkuru shukran wa shukranen. Okay. So, um, and when we say ghufranik, right, there is what we call in the Arabic here taqdeer. There are assumed words, okay, which are not stated, but they are assumed to be there. And Sheikh says, As'aluka ghufranik. I ask you, Ya Allah, is in the brackets, ghufranik, your forgiveness. So because, because ghufranik by itself just means your forgiveness. And that's all the Prophet ﷺ said, your forgiveness. But you might say that doesn't make sense. But it does in Arabic because we know that in the brackets it says, 
Allah, oh Allah, I ask you your forgiveness. This is very common in Arabic language, okay everybody? It's very, very common. Now, you might say, what is the, um, the, the concept here? Um, I wanna, I wanna uh, uh, make a point actually, that um, the dua, the dua that is said now, which is gonna come up in a second as well, um, I don't think that we're going to cover that today, but uh, there is a munasaba, there is a reason why the words uh, istighfar or, or ghufran, and, which is forgiveness, and uh, afia, uh, pardoning, and so on, is being used. Because this is, uh, do you know what ghufran means actually? Yeah, the, the uh, root uh, verb. Um, to forgive is what we understand it as. But the word ghafara uh, also means to cover and to dig and to like embed, but to conceal. Conceal. Yeah? I think conceal is the best way of understanding the word ghafara, to conceal. And um, Sheikh says al maghfira is the concealing of a dhamb what tajawaz an. It is the concealing of the sin and pardoning it. Because it is taken from the mighfar. The word maghfara is taken from the word mighfar. وَفِي الْمِغْفَرْ سَتْرُ وَوَقَايَ The mighfar is the helmet in battle. Okay, and the armor. Now, the, the point is, is of armor, and especially the, an armored helmet, is that if someone hits you, okay, um, it hasn't left a mark. It hasn't left a mark on you, the person. Uh, and or if you are hit so bad or you are hurt, it's covering that which is hurt, protecting you. Okay? That's why Sheikh says that the word, the, the concept of the mighfar, the armad, is to cover you and to give you protection. Cover your weaknesses and give you protection. Likewise, maghfira. Maghfira is protecting you from your own self and it is concealing your sin. It's concealing your sin, hiding as a barrier uh, your, your sin. Okay? So when we say, Ighfirli, Oh Allah, have forgiveness, uh, uh, forgive me, then it's like you're saying, Ustur dhunubi, conceal my sins. وَتَجَاوَزْ anni hatta aslama min uqubatiha. And protect me from the consequence of these sins so that I'm not yani, punished. And I don't feel the consequence of my mistake, and uh, and the uh, uh, when it, when it, when this is exposed, then the shame and the humiliation, the fadiha that comes as a result of that, uh, with the with the in front of the people um, uh, as well. Um, and what the sheikh says, he says that people are, 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 the scholars differed. Why is it that this is the word which has been chosen? It's clear why we started We need to ask protection of Allah because when we go in, we're now exposed to jinn and whatever they will do to us. Uh, especially us. Especially us, this generation. Because the way that we have now created the modern toilet, we don't have this concept of getting out there super quick. Right? We've got this concept of that's it, we're going in and we're not coming out now. Huh? And in fact, the whole toilet nowadays is built on that premise to make it more comfortable, make it more enjoyable, and so on. And, and uh, that's why next week we're going to be discussing some of the mannerisms in the toilet. You'll see that when it comes to the sunnah, you can sum it up very easily. It's quick. That's it. 
is quick. Whereas you could sum up our entire toilet experience and the toilet experience of the West. I think they only started in 1800s, this kind of separate toilets and sitting down, whatever. And it's about luxury and chilling out and enjoying yourself. Yeah. And that's completely, obviously, you know, against the principle and against the system. So that's why we want the protection of Allah, because then we're now with so much contact with the jinn, shayateen, evil uh, forces, evil kind of feeling. We need protection of Allah. But why are we asking forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? For two reasons, the scholar said. The first one is that um, here, what have you done when you go into the toilet? You have actually reduced the harm. Waste products are harmful, which is why we get rid of them. Yeah, the body has to get rid of it. So, when the body has done, got rid of its harm, what we need to do is to remember the adhiyatul ithm. So, adhiyatul jism, the harm of the body has been dealt with by going to the toilet and expelling it. We now need to protect ourselves from the harm of our sin. So, when you come out, you've just thought, and this is, this is why the Muslim, when he studies fiqh, he uses the evidences to become more reflective upon himself. When you go into the toilet, this is, and we mentioned this last week, it's a rahmah and a mercy. But not only is it a rahmah and a mercy, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has protected you from the harm of your body. So you know now you've been protected from the harm of your body, have a little reflection about protecting yourself from the harm of your sin. And you make that connection in your mind, and therefore when you come out, you say, Astaghfirullah. Okay, this is the first opinion. The second opinion is that because the Prophet and this is subhanAllah, it's very beautiful to explain, he was always making dhikr. Always, always, always. Yani from the beginning to the end. And this is one time that he was not allowed to do dhikr. And someone who's told all the time, says, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah. And suddenly he's been cut off for 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whilst he's in the toilet. Then this is something which is painful for him. So he comes out and he says, oh Allah, forgive me for not being able to make dhikr of you. And this is the position uh, of many, many, many scholars. Shaykh Uthameen, though, he... He says, if it comes to me and asking me what the real reason is, he goes, it's clear to me that it's the first reason and not the second. He goes, the reason it's not the second is because the reason that you stop doing dhikr that Allah has commanded you to do is because Allah commanded you to stop doing the dhikr. So you not doing the dhikr is itself a dhikr. And you following the sunnah of, the, of going to the toilet in this manner, saying what you say in the beginning, sitting like this, using this, and then coming out and saying what you're saying, this itself is a dhikr. So no, I'm not buying that. The Prophet ﷺ did not have to seek forgiveness for the fact that he couldn't make dhikr in the toilet. What he is seeking forgiveness for is more likely a recognition of his state, a recognition of just what happened. And that's what it means to be in tune with yourself. You know, to be in tune with yourself as a Muslim when you walk around and you see things and you do things and you see, you know, weather change. I mean, we've been sitting here now and no one has not noticed how windy it is, right? And this is subhanAllah, this is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's quwwah. There's dua that we should say and the dua when the weather changes and it's been noticeably warmer in the last few days. And we should reflect upon all of this and the benefits. I mean, just we were saying to the children that coming to Fajr the last couple of days has been so much more enjoyable than it has been for the last couple of weeks. It's been freezing. But the last three, four days, it's such an easy drive to Fajr. And whereas normally your, your hands are stuck to the, the steering wheel. Meaning that we should be reflecting upon every single possible uh, banal kind of thing that you don't, you miss first time, but actually reflecting upon it, there's a, uh, there's a wisdom behind it. So I don't want to, I, I support that. And I think that that's a good reflective point for us to finish on as well. Um, and then I'm afraid we don't have time this week for questions because we are needing to 
uh, make the adhan right now and then give the brothers a couple of minutes for their sunnah and then we will pray Salatul Isha five minutes time not quarter two but at ten to you have five minutes for uh, two rakah or something or if you want to make it up then four rakah no problem inshallah um, but um, I just want to say a couple of quick things I've decided not to do the uh, revision session because on Dahara because we're going to have this test um, and I'll do it before the, uh, we'll spend a lesson doing revision I want you to, I cannot emphasize enough how much you do not need to worry about the test. I'm not even going to look at the marks, okay? So that's just, that will tell you. If I don't even see the marks, then you don't have to worry about the test, but you have to take it because it's important for you as well. And um, uh, forums are all up to date. Go and check it out. I answered like about 26,000 questions, okay? Everything is all up to date now. So I leave you with that. We're going to put the salah on and we'll have the adhan of prayer. Oh, uh, just, sorry, just one, one thing. Um, uh, online now, you'll see online, and if you're, not, if you're here when you get to the video, one of our main people of this masjid and of Prophetic Guidance, Hakim Adabai, he is doing a cycle ride for charity. It'd be nice if you give him some support. Miskin is going to ride like 6,000 miles or something crazy. I don't know. But he's doing it for a good cause for Zambia. So just give a little bit of money, inshallah. The URL is on the screen right now. Just visit here and show some love. Zakamullah Khair. He's our token guy, Miskin. 400 miles mission, long I go.